You're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library Podcast, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. And this is our first installment in what we're calling A Little Too Spooky, a series of scary stories leading us up to Halloween. Local authors will be reading their own signature style of weird tales. This is the spooky season. And while these pieces aren't your typical campfire stories full of cheap scares, they are certainly heavy with atmosphere and practically melodic with unique voices. But these are also stories of the strange and stories of what most would deem the supernatural. We are excited to not only bring the voices of local authors onto this podcast for this series, but to also invite them to find some of their most provocative and even eerie stories in celebration of the Halloween season, when we are all likely yearning for some escapism, for some fun, chilling ambiance, and some downright phantasmagorical description of compelling characters, odd characters, tragic characters, and even scary characters. And so we open with Kathy Koja, an acclaimed author of speculative fiction, historical fiction, and fiction for young adults, as well as fiction that tends to be loosely interpreted by critics and readers as tiptoeing on the line of what we would otherwise consider horror. But her voice, not even just her voice for oration as she reads to you, but her narrative voice, her writing voice, is mesmerizing. She is the celebrated author of genre-defying works like The Cipher, Bad Brains, and Under the Poppy. This year, in the spring, she released her second collection of short stories titled Velocities. We'll say at the start that this story contains adult content for any listening audience out there. Be warned. This is Kathy Koja leading you into her story from Velocities. is called Toujours, and it might not be immediately apparent that it is a story about vampires, because like they say, not all vampires wear capes, and not all hunger is immediately identifiable as hunger. But this story looks at what it means to be hungry for a very long time. Hey, hey, is he in? That's how they talk to me, these girls. Girls with their knee boots and tiny little telephones, leaning against the elevator doors, tugging on their hair, lighting cigarettes. Cigarettes, and right on the building wall, the sign, no smoking, in Italian and English. Hey, is he in? Foolish, I told my wife, my Lou. These girls... 20 years I am with Signor, and not one of these girls will ever learn my name. She shrugged. She poured the coffee. 
Her hair in the sun through the windows, gold and silver like a painting. Ah, she said, they are infants. Can you be angry with an infant? Besides, Carlos knows your name. Maritza called again this morning. The christening dinner? Senor may need me. Today the journalists come and the man from the art school. I will try. To give the toast, at least, he is your grandson. And Maritza says, I took her hand, her left hand, with that tiny seed drop of a diamond. She deserves something grander. I have said this before. I will try. And then I was on my way from the table, the apartment with the sunny windows, the terrace where she grows her flowers, pots of white daisies. I used to call her Daisy as if she were an American girl. The smell of French coffee in the hallways, the stone faces at each landing like the saints and gargoyles one sees at cemeteries, weighing, approving, denying. The journalist, that English fellow from Le Pop, said the same last month of me, an aging but formidable factotum, forever looming like a gargoyle over the Esterhaus brand. That is how this business is. If there is nothing to say, still they must say something. This business, where the money flies and they take so many drugs, and the girls, infants, yes, and younger all the time, but none too young to spread themselves for anyone anywhere, at the shows, in the atelier, the things I have seen. See them now, this very morning in Gold Street, one busy with her little phone, the other scowling behind round black sunglasses, the Desmundo glasses they all wear this season, leaping up like greyhounds when I approach. Listen, hey, listen, Carlos wants me, he called, while the other one shoves forward. Me too, he wants me too. Breathless and rude all the way up in the elevator, but I make them wait outside. Senor inside with a pair of gloves. Blue leather, very nice goods. He pulls on the left, smiles at me, holds out his hand. I adjust the right. They sent two pair, he says, one red and one blue. Which do you prefer? Red-handed, I say, that's guilty, no? And he smiles, white as the petals of a daisy. When I first met him, he never smiled at all. You think of everything, Gianfranco. All right, blue it is. Did you call for models, senor? From Vita? And when he nods, I let them in. Greedy, they clamber up beside him, grab his blue hands. No thought between them to thank me who opened the door. But senor nods as I take the empty glove case from the table. He nods and he smiles as I leave. Later, I fish the Desmundo glasses from the pissoir. Crying, monotonous crying from outside in the hall. The man from the art school is early. He brings another girl, another bony creature with pale hair and bright eyes. They stay for drinks. They stay for dinner. Senor has far too much wine. Maritza sends me several angry messages. Lou is asleep when I come home. He was half an infant himself when I met him, peasant boy with a loaded jacket and little colored pencils serving me in the cafe, swabbing the table, one shoulder tucked down as if something pained him. Did you eat today? I asked, 
and he shrugged. He was ashamed. Those crooked, pointed, wolfish teeth. He was ashamed of that, too, and ashamed to have been fired. Three times in one month, from three different cafes, because I was drawing. I looked at his pictures, his girls. You are not from the city, I said, because already I knew him. I had been waiting for him. I knew exactly what I must do. Speak to the cafe manager. Speak to his uncle, some turd from the burrows, blustering. He should be in school, Carlos, not making silly pictures. Fashion, what do you want with my Carlos? I want to feed him dinner, I said. And to him I said, go get your things. For six months, he slept in the room off the terrace. He helped Lou water the flowers. He went to the shops and the galleries. He drew many more girls. When I bought the apartment on Gold Street, he worried that it was too big, too much. All these rooms? But an atelier, I said, needs space. The clothes followed the drawings. The first show sold all the clothes. And he came to me then, very early, still awake from the night before. And Willie's, he said, wants the whole line. And Vogue wants to interview me. She called me a wizard. He looked around the terrace, the pots of daisies, the sun just rising. Jesus, you're the wizard. You gave me everything. I'd still be in that fucking cafe if... Don't curse, I told him. This was all meant to be. Consider the lilies. What? Senor, I said, and he almost flinched to hear me say it. Senor, it is my will to serve you, always. And since then, I have served Senor in many ways, with the journalists and their editors, with the buyers, those sharks, and the stores, the licensing. Now they want to put his name on condoms. Esther has golden fleece, how stupid and vulgar. I have served Senor as well with the girls, the model. Senor has a sometimes regrettable taste in models, but he is always very sorry afterward. And there was always a new girl, many new girls to choose from, from a season or a night. At times he has seemed to prefer one over another, like last winter, the dark one from Vienna with the nervous laugh, who when she went back to Vienna, Lou sighed. Oh, Carlos, is he missing that little one? Why did she go, do you think? <laughs> she went because I bought the ticket, because I called her booker, because I made it plain to her that he deserves better. I am wiser than his own heart in such matters. I do not bend to heat or caprice. When it is time for Signor to settle down, I will make certain that his choice is the best one. Not like the Viennese girl or the pale thing last night. Who is here again? Blue slacks, blue blouse, almost demure, though none of these girls ever bother with brassiers. In the sunlight, her hair is white as bone. No desmundos for her. Her gaze comes squarely to mine as, Good morning, Gianfranco. And she hands me a little pink bag. Amaretti from Sofia's the ones I most prefer, a perfect blend of bitter and sweet. Behind me I hear Signor's approach, rapid, the Hermes loafers he wears slapping against the marble floor. Kitty, he says, with far too much pleasure. You're just in time for breakfast. 
and she smiles, not at him, but to me. Her smile is very white. Please join us, she says. From then on, she is here every day. Gitta, who smiles, who does not smoke, who speaks very little and never says where she is from. Gitta, who brings Amoretti for me until I tell her to stop. And yogurt and vitamins and machinery for Signora. Today, it is an ugly little steel contraption shaped like a pregnant tube. Look, says Gitta, manipulating traps and levers until a stream of cloudy juice bursts forth sickening, color like bile. It's a juicer, she says to my steer. Avocado juice. Ah, you're a waitress then. She smiles, unperturbed. Senor drinks the bile. Oh, delicious. You cured my hangover. As he kisses her, she looks at me. She is not a waitress, not a model, not a journalist. She came with a man from the art school, but she is not an artist or a student. Gitta? No, the man says when I call. She was in the photography program, but that was a while ago. I guess you could call her my assistant, kind of. She does a little bit of everything. A factotum. Sure, right. She's amazing, isn't she? And a monster fan of Carlos. You two have a lot in common which is true, terribly so. She knew it first, but I know it now as well. The juicer, then the bracelet to count his heartbeats, then the walking trip just for the weekend, Senora says to me, as if the collection is already finished, as if there is not so much work left to do, a tremendous amount of work. Gita says we need some fresh air. I wave my hand at the windows. I mean, like a getaway. Get away from what? Senor does not answer. His face looks leaner now, its planes more pronounced, like hers. He wears blue now as she does. His hair has been cut very short. Such great changes in such a little time. The girl has barely been here three months. It is monstrous. He fiddles with the heartbeat bracelet. He shrugs maddening, placating. I'll work so much better if I have a chance to relax first. Gitta knows this fantastic walking trail. In Spain? You don't like Spain, senor. You don't like the sun. You have never liked... And I, I know, I mean, there's a little bit of friction between Gitta and you. He says it that way, her name first. But if you'd only spend some time with her... You've been after me for years to slow down on my drinking, right? Now I have. She's a good influence on me. You can see that, can't you? His voice is a plea, almost a whine. And she respects you so much. She talks about you all the time, always asking questions. Sort of questions. But I do not ask because I know. The same way I know she will come to me next. And she does. Dressed in blue, so dark it is almost black, like the sea at night. Her eyes are black as a barracuda's, and he'll work better, she says, if he feels better. I can make him feel good. Why would you want to ruin that? I do not trouble to answer. You ought to come with us, 
to Spain, to wherever we go. I lean very close to her, so close I can smell her scent, bitter and sweet, yes, like amaretti, like almonds, like poison. I have been with Signora since before you were born, I say into her ear. I have seen girls like you come and go. There are no girls like me, she says. We gaze at one another there in the hallway, a phone trilling from the office, Signor whistling in the pissoir. Gita shrugs. If you don't come with us, she says, you'll be left behind. And she walks away, her loafers, Hermes loafers, slapping the floor as she goes. Down the hall, off to Spain, deeper and deeper into his heart. Does one believe in Lamia, in the succubus? Did Medusa ever smile? What sort of perfume, one wonders, did Messalina prefer? I sit alone on the terrace, still in my dinner jacket. Signor did not attend the Fashion Association's formal dinner, the annual dinner, everyone was there. In his stead, I accepted the award, the True Visionary Award. Visionary. And he now so blind. Lou steps past the doors, calling for me, but the moon is concealed in clouds. Her pots of flowers, verbena, lady slipper, become obstacles in the darkness. She stumbles until my hand guides her, draws her to the bench, to my side, and here, I say, sit down, I have something for you. With my other hand, I reach into my pocket for the jeweler's box, the bright canary diamond to replace the battered solitaire. I tug on her ring finger, tug until she gives a little wail until the old ring pulls free at last. For you, my Lou, my Daisy, take it into the light, see what I give you. You're not crying. She is crying. Beautiful, she says, only my little ring. You deserve better. We sit so, I clasping her hand as she wiping at her eyes. Finally, I forgot, she says, half rising. You have a visitor, that nice girl, Carlos's girl, who waits for me on the landing, looking up at the gargoyles and the saints as you come here. I say, my voice is too loud. How dare you come here to my home after you kept him from the dinner, from the people who meant to honor him? He sent me, she says, to tell you. I take a step down, two steps. Tell me what? Four steps, six. Now I am beside her, looking down at the upturned face, forever looming like a gargoyle. And she is really very small, this Gitta, in a new blue dress. One of his dresses. Already he has said he will name this collection for her, Toujours Gitta. Small as a child, her child's hand rising, narrow fingers like twigs. If one squeezed them just a bit too hard, the bones would snap in two. And look. She says, she wiggles her twig finger, a ring, a diamond ring, 
That's where he was tonight, asking me to marry him. She smiles. She cannot help herself. Foxy, satisfied. Don't you like it? I picked it out myself. I do not answer. I cannot. My tongue feels thick and hot. The gargoyles seem to ring her like Lilith and bad angels. Her smile changes and, why do you hate me so much? She murmurs. I'm a lot like you. You, where do you come from? No one knows you, no one. With him, I can be a queen. Like you were the king for so long. Don't worry, softly, cruelly. There'll always be a place for you in our lives, unless you insist on being a prick. Now Lou is here. How did Lou come to be here? Exclaiming, embracing, admiring the ring. Why, that is wonderful, Gita, too wonderful. Jean-Franco, you knew? Of course you knew. Carlos tells you everything. Oh, we must have a celebration. Carlos will love that says Gita. Her smile is fearless. There is a celebration, a large one. Everyone wants to attend from Milan and Paris, New York. There is a wedding even larger. Even the long-ago uncle is invited. I host them both. I pay for everything. I give the toast. I dance with the bride who wears a dress specially created by her new husband. He may design a whole new line, she says, a special collection for the modern bride. She might be a medieval queen, a Medici in her headdress and sapphires, ice blue sapphires against her white curls. All the guests say she looks radiant. You look radiant, I tell her. You make him very happy, Signora. I'm glad you see that now, she says. I give the dinner toast. May your lives together be the stuff of dreams. And all the tables applaud. Lou's eyes shine with tears. She kisses my cheek. It's like being the papa, no? Though it tugs at your heart, I know it does. They have to let him go. After dinner, he leads me aside, senor, just past the arch of ivy and white roses. His eyes are shining, too. What a day, he says. He wrings my hand. He is more than a little drunk. Gita and you here, it's everything. He wrings my hand again. Everything I ever wanted. I hold him to me for a moment, just one moment, like being the papa. Sharper than a serpent's tooth and her white teeth she watches from across the hall, from inside her circle of bridesmaids, of well-wishers and sycophants. She cannot hear what we say. I wish you all happiness, Signor, always. I know you didn't, you weren't sure about her at first, but I'll tell you something, he mumbles, a secret. She's going to have a baby, a little baby boy. We saw the image at the doctor's already. She doesn't want me to tell anyone, but I'm telling you. Only you. And he wrings my hand again. I draw him to me once more. I murmur in his ear, Do this one thing for me. 
radiant, yes, now I know why. A little baby boy. One thing only. Say to me that you will name him Gianfranco. A tear trickles down his cheek. Jesus, sure, I will. Oh, I will. She is leaving her magic circle. She is crossing the dance floor now. You were the king for so long. Why do you hate me? Unless you insist on being a prick. Promise me, Carlos, for all I have ever done for you. For your work, all the years, everything. Promise me. I will. I swear. I will. Now she is between us. She links her arm with his, pretends surprise at his tears, turns to me a scolding, playful look that is truly neither. Now what's all this? Did you make my husband cry? And she dabs with her sleeve at his eyes and laughs. And he laughs with her and I laugh too. Just a joking old man, a funny old friend of the family, a doting grandfather. Half an infant when I met him, yes, but a real infant, a baby, baby Gianfranco. Think of that. My name, my hand on the pram, my voice, the first voice he hears, singing, soothing, teaching. And mummy busy at the atelier in the office, mummy pushing papa along in his pram. Why? Who better than funny old grandpa to help baby grow, to be everything his father was not, could not be, was too weak to be, always there beside him, always my voice in his ear. So he cries, I say, for pure love of you, senora. Carlos beams. She does not know how to answer me. I beam as well. Look, they're calling, you see. Time to go cut the wedding cake. I shepherd them back across the floor to the cake and the bridesmaids. I take my seat again beside my loo. The silver knife is lifted. The happy music starts. There'll always be a place for you in our lives. Oh my, yes, senora. Toujours. Kathy Koja. She read a story from her recently released collection, Velocities, which is her second collection of short stories. Came out recently this year. If you wanted to listen back to an earlier episode of this podcast, which premiered in the winter of 2020, you can hear a full interview with Kathy Koja discussing Velocities and much more. We thank you for listening to this, the first installment of A Little Too Spooky, a short series of local authors reading some fun, spooky stories leading us up to Halloween. This is A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, and it is brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. I'm your host, Jeff Milo, and we produce it in-house here at the Ferndale Library. We hope that you can rate review, subscribe, or tell a friend out there about this podcast. We thank you for listening and happy hauntings.